Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Oh, GPS, we have like maybe this little tiny part here in the fog. He sees the whole thing. That's why he's not stressed. So let's borrow his peace today and use it as if it is our very own. Let's put our investment into things that are stable, that are eternal, that are durable, that are filled with hope. That's where I want to put my investments because the world offers me none of that stuff. So I hope today I can encourage you a little bit. Well, Pastor, aren't, are you, do you have your head in your sand? Are you frustrated? So frustrated. So tired of all of this. You have no idea, or maybe you do. <laughs> you know, yes, but you know where my frustration gets me? Exactly where I'm at right now. Just maybe with a few more people that have been wounded in my path. I'm just, I, I'm, I've, I've retired that. I'm just not going to let that tell me how much joy I'm allowed to have today. I'm not going to let it tell me that I can't have a good afternoon with my boys. I'm not going to let it tell me that I can't come to church and smile and laugh. I'm not going to let it tell me that I can still be friendly and have the joy of my Lord in my heart. I'm tired of all that. I'm not going to give the world permission to tell me how to feel. And I want you to grab onto that. Are you clapping? Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Wow, okay. Well, we stumbled across something. It's contagious. It's great. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Um, I wanted to tell you about a very vivid memory I have from 15 years ago, and I, I don't remember a lot of things that happened 15 years ago, but I do remember a trip I took. I find you remember the trips you take and the people you went with, and it's a good way to make memories is you go on trips with people, and you, and you make memories, and you try and make good ones. Um, 15 years ago-ish, it might have been 16, somewhere in that area. I, w- I was a youth pastor at the time, which I know is hard for many of you to believe. Cool left me a long time ago. I, I don't know if I ever had cool, but I thought I was for a while. Um, I wasn't like Zach. Zach was just born with cool. You know, I, I wasn't. That wasn't. In the, <laughs> you're really laughing hard. <laughs> That's one of his youth leaders. So <laughs> he's not in the room. I won't tell him that you did that. Um, <laughs> But uh, I was a youth pastor, and one of my favorite things to do was our youth ministry just embraced this idea. Now, this was a different day and age when I tell you this. We embraced this idea that every high school student should have the opportunity at least one time in their high school years to go on a foreign missions trip. And back in the day and age, it was like that didn't seem reckless or that was just possible. You could fly anywhere in the world you wanted to go. And now it's thrown a wrench into that for a little while. I remember one particular trip. Um, we had built a good missionary, a good relationship with a missionary in the nation of Paraguay. Do you know what continent that is on? South America. It's literally the only landlocked country in South America. It's like the belly of South America. And uh, for some reason, we thought it would just be a great idea to take 37 high school students to Paraguay. Um, and it really was a lot of fun. We loaded up on an airplane and we flew to the capital city, which is pretty modern, Asuncion. And uh, that's where the missionary kind of housed us for a few days. And they gave us our itinerary for the whole week. And the first couple days we were doing ministry and school assemblies in the city, which was pretty modern. Now, most of my students at that point hadn't been outside of Atlanta. And so it felt, to them, it felt pretty foreign because not every place had Wi-Fi, you know, and But you moved a couple blocks outside of the city, it got very remote and very rustic, very fast. 
And so the missionary said, now the third day, we're going to go out into some more remote areas, to some villages that haven't ever seen people from North America. I'm like, this is going to be great. And so he shoehorned all 37 of us into a minibus, which was an experience. And we started to drive. And we could tell how remote it was getting, not just by what we could see out the windows, but how the road felt underneath the tires. We started off on a concrete highway. And after about an hour, there were no more concrete highways. It was just single-lane dirt roads winding through the, you know, the soft underbelly of Paraguay. And that is a life-changing experience, being in a minibus on a dirt road, where you can see down a couple hundred feet out this window and the bus is literally moving like this and you're getting air after every bump on your seat. My kids were praying like they had never prayed before. And uh, well, the dirt road stopped and then we just started driving on no road for about a half a mile until we literally couldn't move the minibus any farther because of how dense the, the, the jungle was. And then we got out of the bus and the missionary said, all right, put on your backpacks, let's walk. And then we walked, so we drove till we couldn't drive on concrete. We rode dirt roads, until we, and we drove the bus until we couldn't drive, and then we started walking, and all of us are like, if we die out here, no one will ever find us. Like, we are totally, like, the kids are, but, the, you know, I'm thinking this way because I'm a little bit of a nervous, you know, Zach says he just lives life all out, doesn't want to plan. I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, you know, son, don't sit that way in the chair because there's a 10% chance it might fall this way. And if it does, you're going to hit that. I'm thinking two steps ahead all the time, trying to move things. So I wish I could live like that. I would have much less stress in my life. But I'm in there doing all the math and the kids are like, yeah, this is the jungle. They're like, you know, they, 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 you know they're totally being Americans in the, in the jungle. And then after a while, it opens up to this little village. And there's like 100 people in this village. And it was like, it was amazing, but it was like, Poverty, like I hadn't seen up to that point. I think they had two generators in the whole town. So having electricity in houses, not normal, didn't have it. Running water, didn't have it. I mean, they had well, they had wells that they could pull, but I mean, no running water. Um, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, this is the saddest place on the face of the earth I've ever seen. The problem was in that picture, the faces of the people in that town did not match that sad narrative I was attaching to. You know what else I found there? I found hospitality like I had never experienced in my life. I saw joy in people's lives and faces that was so pure. It wasn't because they had it all or they even knew what it all was. They probably didn't even know they were poor. It was literally all they had ever known. I also saw in their faces curiosity because they had never seen anybody that looked like us. And, you know, here we are with our knowledge of English and here they are with their local dialect and they're looking at us and we're looking at them and they made the first move. And you know what happened? The little girls wanted to touch the hair of some of the white girls in our group. I mean, there were kids from different backgrounds in our group, some, some black kids, some kids from um, Latin America, one young lady who had dual citizenship in Honduras. And so some of them skin-wise looked more familiar to them, but like the, they had never seen, they wanted to touch our skin. They wanted to, they couldn't come to me to touch hair because even 16 years ago it was gone. But you know, it was just so funny. They were touching the braids on the girl's hair that had them in like, you know, pigtails or braided their hairs. And uh, it was a really, really rich experience as some of these barriers started to break down and these kids were just so full of joy. They were so curious. They were so hospitable. They were so 
they just wanted to know more about us. And here's the part that really stuck in my mind. Uh, one little 10-year-old boy came up to me, and he must have been maybe the, the smartest kid in the class around there because he knew some English. And so his, his, little, his little buddies would, you know, they'd kind of all be laughing and looking at him, and he'd be saying something to them in their language, and he'd look back at us. and he'd say, So he finally came up to me, and he said in English, he said, where did you come from? And I'm thinking, how far back do we go here? Like, do we go the whole way back? I'm not going to go the whole way back to birth because we're not going to tackle that as our first conversation. And I said, maybe he just means what part of the world. And I said, we came from the United States. He says, where is the United States? And so immediately I'm kind of culture shocked here a little bit. And I recognize, man, I grew up in a culture where it's just normal to know that there's a world beyond where I live and there's other countries, nations. I'm like, oh, goodness, I have to explain this to him. So I tried to explain that we came in a land that was separated from his land by water. He got that, and then he said, so how did you get here? I said, well, we flew on an airplane, and here's where it got crazy. You know what his next question was? What's an airplane? Now, you have to understand, I obviously don't know his language. He knows some of mine. There was no holding place in my brain that a 10-year-old in the modern days that we lived in could grow up and get to 10 without even knowing what an airplane was. If I asked him, draw a picture of an airplane, he couldn't. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't even form enough of an idea to put that on paper. If I brought a toy airplane out of my bag and set it down in front of him and said, what is this? He'd have no idea. And so now I'm like, how do I explain in broken English, the concept of airplane. And so I'm like, I know, I had, I had cutting-edge technology. I pulled out my BlackBerry. And some of you understand that. Pulled out my BlackBerry, and I just happened to have a few pictures of the airplane we flew in. And I showed him a picture of the front of the airplane, and I pulled up. And first of all, he's like, what is this magic device you have in your hand with a keyboard right on it? I'm like, this is going to be around for, for, son, this is the future. Invest in this. This will be good for you. I show him the picture, and I was like, this is an airplane. And he looks at it, and it's just showing, like, the nose in the cockpit. He looks at it. He looks at me, and I'm like, and he looks at it. And I could tell he didn't get it. Now I'm showing him an accurate picture of an airplane. And even though the picture was accurate, it told an incomplete story. You with me? It was accurate, but that one picture was not enough to explain to somebody who didn't know anything about airplanes what an airplane really was. Now, he knew a little bit more. It reduced it down from anything to that. And I showed him another picture. I only had like two or three pictures. I showed one of the side of the airplane, one of the back of the airplane, and one of because we were still doing this 16 years ago, a picture of the food I was served on the airplane. And he said, what is that? I said, I don't know. They just put it on the plate. I was in business class. I didn't know what it was, but it was just something. And so I could tell he still didn't understand. I was like, okay, pictures aren't enough. He needs a video. Well, I didn't have a video, but I had the next best thing, which was hand puppets. And so I made an airplane. And then I'm trying to show him, like, this is an airplane. 
But the wings went the wrong direction, and so now I'm thinking, okay, he's thinking an airplane looks like a middle-aged white man's hand with his, the wings going the wrong way. And I was like, no, it moves, and I'm showing him exactly how an airplane takes off by using my hands. So he goes, slow, 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 fast, and it takes off. You know, now, my airplane was doing loops, and that made him scared, and that's like, okay, so it shouldn't do that. And I'm showing him how it flies, how it lands. I'm trying to make the noises, and he asks some more questions, and I'm, uh, he, he, is it safe? Will it hurt you? He asked me twice, is it magical? And I said, no, we flew Delta. It's not that, mag- it's not that magical. Um, and I'm trying to explain how it lands, and then we got off, and I was showing him how we sit on the airplane. I was trying to give him the sounds and the sight and what it felt like, and I gave him some accurate information, probably also some unintentional inaccurate information because it doesn't look like this. It looks the other way, but I didn't think to make it fly this way. So, I, you know, I, my hands don't work that way, and I didn't want to break my fingers for the sake of the illustration. But he had a better idea of what it was. He was so curious. He had so many questions about something that was so familiar to me, I almost didn't know how to explain it to him. And I finally had exhausted my total vocabulary. And this little guy is just sitting there, he's looking at me, and I'm thinking, he, he's going to win. Like, he's going to stump me. It would not be the first time a 10-year-old was smarter than me. But he finally just concluded by, with this statement. He said, Pastor, I want to fly in an airplane. And I wish, you know, I could tell you, and I, I swept him up, and I carried him against his will to the airport, and I got him onto an airplane so he could fly. I would not be here today. I would be locked up far, far away. But here's what I want you to think about. If I've done my job, you can put yourself in two people's positions in that story. You can put yourself in the position of the 10-year-old. Like, how do you... He didn't know what he didn't know. And even when I started telling him about it, he still didn't know what he didn't know, but then he started to know what he didn't know, and he was curious. And then put yourself in my situation. Here you are having information about something that's familiar to you that you've experienced, that you've had the benefits of. And you are in the position to have to try and describe it accurately to somebody who's very curious. And you want to do it in a way that inspires them and gives them accurate, clear information. Every one of us is like that 10-year-old boy when it comes to understanding what God's kingdom is like. We're all exactly like him. That kingdom exists. And for some period of our lives, we didn't even know it existed. Some of us found out about it early in life. Some of us later in, later in life. Some of us today. But we didn't know. If someone had come up to us at that point and say, draw a picture of what heaven is. Who knows what we would have put on a piece of paper? Draw a picture of God's kingdom and what it's like and who's there and how you act and how you live and what are the sights that you see. Most of us, all of us start life without having any idea of what that even is. We're all like that 10-year-old little boy. And there's lots of people running around this world showing pictures, telling stories, living out things, and then telling people who don't know any better, this is what God's like. This is what heaven, heaven is like. This is what God's, this is what Christians are like. You understand how my story would have been complicated if, I, if that boy said, how did you get here? And I said, we flew here on an airplane. And he, what if he would have said to me, oh, 
you mean those evil things? And I say, what? Yeah, a man came here two years ago, and he said, airplanes are terrible. They make you sick. They crash. There's mean people on there called flight attendants, and they make you sit where you don't want to sit next to people that are taking up your space and bumping your elbows. They feed you horrible food you can't recognize, and it gets hot. Unless you're in one of the good groups, then you get to sit in the nice seats that recline and have air conditioning, and movies, and washcloths you put on your face, like in your very own living room that you already have. They're bad. My story would have been much harder because I would have had to come up against some bad ideas and experiences that were planted there by somebody else with different motives. We're all like those 10-year-old kids when it comes to understanding what God's kingdom is like. And we've learned what it's like by having somebody tell us, show us what it's like. The most accurate source of information you can get is from someone who is there or who's been there. That eliminates a lot of us from being firsthand information, but this book is God's revelation to us. God decided we should know what it's like, and he wants us to know what it's like, and he's powerful enough to hide it from us, but he said, I'm going to reveal who, who I am and what I'm like and what God's kingdom is like through, you know, 40 different people. I'm going to inspire them to write it down, and I'm going to preserve it so that people all over the world, all of my sons and daughters who I want to adopt can know me, can find me, can know that I'm looking for them and find out what it's like in my kingdom. You see, you and I have a mission, an assignment from Jesus. Jesus was the best. How many of his conversations, if you really read through the gospels, how many of Jesus's conversations started out this way? The kingdom of God is like. Think about that. How many of his parables, how many of his stories, how many of his explanations, his confrontations, his private mentoring moments with his disciples and his public teachings, public teachings among people, he was so aware that there were 10-year-old boys and girls all over this earth who would never know what the kingdom of God was really like unless he played constant games of show and tell. Tell them what it's like and show them what it's like. Tell them what it's like and show them what it's like. And that's what he went around doing for the three years of his public ministry, telling people what God's kingdom was like and then living it out, showing them what real family is like, showing them what real citizenship is like, showing them what real humility is like, what real brotherhood, what real sisterhood, what real marriage, what real uh, community is supposed to be like, what real generosity looks like, what real love is supposed to be. And it was so radically different from what existed outside of God's kingdom that people were so curious to know more about it. And so many people were attracted and said, I, I want to be in, I, I want to experience that. I want to love that way, live that way, have those experiences. Now, Jesus' assignment on earth is done. He lived a sinless life. He died a death as our substitute that he didn't deserve, but we did. He rose from the dead. He commissioned his disciples to carry on his mission and he ascended to heaven and we're part of that mission. 
And what we're supposed to be doing, obviously, is being and making disciples. And how, what does that really look like in practical terms? We're supposed to be a picture today of what God's kingdom will look like in the age to come so that people can look at the way that we live as Christians, as believers, as God's children, as family, as citizens of his kingdoms, so that they can look at our life as a picture and another picture and another experience, and they can say, that's what kingdom is like. That's what citizenship in God's God's kingdom means. Those are the benefits that come. That's what being in a real, true family can be like. I want to fly. I want to be part of that. With all that in your mind, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to listen how the Apostle Paul introduces the kingdom of God to a group of people that were always considered outsiders. And if you read through the entire New Testament, you'll see four photographs Jesus supplies us with to say, there's four, there's at least four, there's a couple more, but there's, here's a couple pictures that you can use to show people what God's kingdom is like. No one picture tells the whole story. Any one picture can be pushed too far, but you have to look at multiple different images and ideas. And every single picture Jesus gives us that the apostles use to write in the New Testament to tell us what God's kingdom's life has is built on one term, and that is the term relationship. Relationship. The idea is that The moment I am saved by Jesus, the moment I put my faith in him, I confess my sins and put my trust in him, there are some things that change instantly and there are some things that change gradually in your life. The thing that changed instantly is your status instantly changes. I've never had the experience of walking up to a counter at an airport and they say, Mr. Now, you know what? You are upgraded to business class. Never had that experience. This is on my bucket list. Never had that experience. But when I got saved, I was immediately upgraded. Here's what I got right away. I got new citizenship in a new kingdom right away. I got new membership in a new body right away. I got a brand new family with tons of brothers and sisters who all had the same dad, who all get a seat around the same table. I get it immediately, and I get, I become, I get built into, connected to, joined together with an, a, a, another house. I'm part of a new home. Now, here's my question to you. When did you start to get enjoy, when did you start to enjoy those benefits? When you got saved and you became a citizen in God's kingdom, you know that there's benefits with that? Good, I'm glad somebody knows that. Do you know there's benefits of being in God's kingdom? What are some of them? Impress me. I'm easy to impress. Give me one. Salvation, Salvation, thank you. Grace, eternal life. We can't really one-up those. Unconditional love, hope, identity, purpose, healing, How about forgiveness? How about being able to live without guilt or shame? Isn't that a good one? Now, do you have to wait till you get to heaven to have the benefits of being a citizen of God's kingdom? Hmm. When you get to heaven, will you still enjoy those benefits? So would you say to me that your citizenship in heaven transfers from this age to the next one? Hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, you know what else you got instantly when you got saved? You became a member of a new body. The, the Bible says you're now a part of God's body together with all the other believers. We all have a different part. Now, I've been in ministry long enough that people have called me all kinds of different parts. Some of them flattering, some not so much. But what it means is I'm joined together in such a way that I am uniquely wired by God to bring some benefit into your life through a gift he's given me. And you are wired by God uniquely to be able to benefit my life by some gift that he's given to you. And that we get to enjoy relationship with, that our relationships with one another in the body will make each other better. Now, let me ask you a question. Will you enjoy those relationships when you get to heaven? Yes, you will. We will come from the north, the south, the east, and the west and sit down with who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Well, no names. I'm not going to get deep into heavenly theology because there's really not a whole lot of detail about heaven. Most of the people who saw it in the Bible didn't have vocabulary to describe it. And quite frankly, if heaven's just a better version of what I could have here if I had more money, it's going to be a disappointment. I want heaven to be better than what I can buy. And it is so much, so much so. The most viable thing we have on earth is the pavement up there. So, you know, we'll just put that in perspective. But yeah, you get to enjoy the membership benefits now. And then what about family? When you got saved, you got a whole new family. Did you know that? Some of you are like, I don't like the family I have now, and I don't want another one. (laughs) And isn't that part of the difficulty of getting excited about God's kingdom when he says it's like a marriage, and you're like, "Mm, the only marriages I know are bad ones. The Bible says it's like a family. Oh, no thank you. The world has broken ideas of godly creations. And when you've only experienced heartache in marriage, and the Bible says our relationship with God is like a good marriage, it's hard to understand. But actually, if you read Hosea, our relationship with God's like a bad marriage, except we're the ones who were bad, and he was the one who was good. Hosea is about a guy whose wife cheated on him, didn't want to be with him, blah, 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 and he bought her back. But when you get saved... The Bible says you come into relationship with God, your father, as an adopted child. The Bible also says everyone who comes into God's family comes in as one of his childs, which means men, every single one of you is my brother. You're my brother. Ladies, you're my sister. And it means that for the rest of your life, you will have the joy of living together in community, family relationship with other people as brothers and sisters, and you will constantly meet people all over the world who are complete strangers to you until you find out you have the same dad, and then you will carry on like long-lost siblings. Have you ever had an experience like that? I did like three weeks ago. I was over here in Rosedale um, getting a Christmas present for my wife uh, in which she wanted the car professionally cleaned and detailed, and you're thinking, you lazy man, why didn't you do it for her? It's because I have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, and it needed professional attention. There were French fries in places. I'm like, how scientifically did that even get there, growing small little French fry trees? And so I dropped it off there, and I'm sitting in the little waiting room, and it's me and one other guy in there, and we're masked up, and I'm sitting here, and he's sitting there, his name's, found out his name was Eric, and he was the manager of the shop. And, you know, on the surface, it would look like we wouldn't have much in common. I, you know, I had on, it was an even number day of the week, so I probably had this on. 
and uh, he, you know, had his business attire on, and he's sitting there doing paperwork, and I'm sitting there just kind of killing time, and, uh, and he's black, and I'm white. Now, we were both about the same age, but I just started making small talk, and he responded pretty quickly. He was kind of chatty. Well, it tumbled out pretty quick that he used to have a pretty important job raising money for a, a well-known missions organization that I'm familiar with, uh, Mercy Ships, and, uh, and I knew it was a Christian organization, so I kind of put two and two together and figured he didn't get that job without having a relationship with Jesus. So when he slowed down, I asked him, I said, well, I'm curious, um, tell me about your experience with Jesus. He goes, oh, I knew I sensed, I thought that's what, when you sat down, I was like, well, yeah, I probably had a church logo on my shirt, might have given it away. He said, oh, I knew something, and he and I just, the conversation got louder and louder and louder, and every now and again, both of us would be like, oh, yes, yes, and you should have seen the face of the people who were coming in to drop off their cars. They're looking at a bald white guy, and actually a a bald, clean-shaven black guy sitting in here just carrying on like, like old friends. And it was hilarious because they're they're all walking like, oh, so sorry. We're like, oh, no, come on in. We just had the best conversation. Uh, My car was done. He's like, do you have a few more minutes? Yeah, let's just sit here. I'm just, you know, my wife will be happy that it's just clean and not being messed up for a few more minutes. And we talked. He was telling me about a Bible study he has over there for the unchurched people in that community there about he is trying, he tries to hire a lot of, he says, I'm trying to hire a lot of young, you know, black guys who don't have a dad. And I put them to work here. And I teach, he's like, because, you know, my wife and I have been married this many years. We've raised kids. And he's like, he's like, our black families just need some, he's like, I just am sensitive to black families that need some strong dads. And so he's like, I'm trying to use giving them this job. And he was talking to me about how he, he over time, he was getting, man, I'm way off track here this morning. I'm very sorry. But it, I'll tell more about Eric later. But he was just sharing his heart for evangelism and the lost. And he's like, he's like, well, man, in January, I'm starting up my Monday night Bible study here in the shop. You know, after the last car's detailed, I just pull chairs in there and I invite the guys to come in and I just teach them from the Bible. I'm like, I need to sit under your teaching. You're doing something I, that I love. And, and um, he's like, man, we're just carrying on like long lost brothers. I said, well, we are. We are. The moment I came into God's kingdom, I got a new family. Here's my question. Will Eric and I be brothers in the age to come? Here's the point I'm trying to make. Do you understand the only thing you can take out of this world to the next one are those things? The only thing you can take is those relationships. You can take your citizenship. You can take your membership. You can take your family. That's it. You won't need anything else. But guess what you can't take? You cannot take your 403B, your 401K, your WXYZ. You can't. You can't take your collections. You can't take your toys. You can't take your tools. You can't take your boats. You can't take your timeshare. You should get out of it. You can't take, you can't take your wardrobe. You can't take your appearance. Thank God. You can't take any of that stuff with you. But where does most of your time and money and energy go? What are you investing in? I'm not saying that those things are completely unimportant. God cares about those things. He cares about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, your shelter. But I will tell you what will set you free from the rat race that we run is understanding I can't take any of that with me anyway, and I am not a fool to invest in things that are eternal, but I might be a a fool if I put all my chips in the basket of things I can't take with me anyway. Because of Jesus, we're family. Family 
God's family is eternal. And you are not foolish to invest in a family that will endure all of eternity together. You're not foolish to do that. Let me read to you how Paul tried to break this down to a group of people that always felt like they were outsiders and he, they were made to feel like they were outsiders by the insiders. Because up to this point, there were two main groups of people in the world, the Jews and the Gentiles. Thank God for the Jewish people. Thank God for Israel. Thank God for Israel. Because of Israel, I know about Jesus. Israel brought Jesus into the world. And there were some Jews who are no different than Christians today. They think because they were the religious insiders that everybody else is inferior because they're outsiders. Paul writes to those people who were like the 10-year-olds. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the promises. And sometimes all they knew about God's kingdom was that they were not good enough to get in there because they couldn't ever become Jewish. They were just born to the wrong family, and therefore they had no hope. Paul comes along and tries to hold up his blackberry, as it were, and say, no, let me give you an accurate picture, a couple pictures of what God's kingdom looked. With everything that I just said, I want you to hear this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, now, you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the old system of the law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace. I love this verse. So practical, so relevant. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. <laughs> Do you understand? God has already resolved the problem of racism through Jesus. That doesn't mean that it doesn't still manifest itself. That's not what that means. What it means, though, is that racism at its root is a product of sin, of groups excluding one another because of differences or basically elevating, looking down at or up at another group because of those external characteristics. And here's what God says. God says that caused hostility. Well, no kidding. It still can. But what he's saying is even more powerful than legislation and rules and TED Talks, and those things all have their place. But those things in and of themselves can only be instruments the main solution is that Jesus went to the cross and ended the hostility by creating in himself one new people from two groups, verse 16, together as one body, Christ, I love this word, reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles 
who were far away from him because they weren't the chosen people. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the prophets. They didn't have the experience. They didn't have the history. But the Jews also needed it. He also brought peace to the Jews who were near because they did have the scriptures. They were the chosen people. He brought peace to everybody. He leveled the playing field at the foot of the cross in verse 18. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You are, here's a cool word that we talked about, you're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're not second class, third class, fourth class, or now our class. You are citizens on a level playing field with all of the people who we used to think were the religious insiders. You're all now brothers and sisters. No hierarchy, no kids table, right? You're all brothers and sisters. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together. You do your homework on that verse. It's using the image of bricks and the mortar that goes between them. You are mortised. You're joined together in him becoming, which is an ING word, which means here's something that's happening gradually. We're becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. That's amazing. That is one of the most awesome passages of scripture in the whole Bible to show us in a lot of words, in a lot of pictures, what God's kingdom is really like, what God's family is really like. What he's saying is in his family, there are no foreigners. There are no strangers. There are no outsiders. There are no insiders. We're just family. We're a body. We're members of the same body. We are brothers and sisters. There's not grandpa and then dad and then me and then no, we sit around. You're gonna sit around the table elbow to elbow with the apostles, with the great women leaders of the Bible. You're gonna you're gonna sit around the table. Jesus says, I've adopted you as my own children, and I'm making you listen to this. You're a co-heir with Jesus. Do you understand what that means? In God's will, Jesus and you get the you get the same share. Do you understand how good of a thing this is and how unfair it is and how amazing it is? I want you to get this inside of you. I want to imprint this on your heart this year that you are in a new family because of Jesus. We're a family because once you get that inside your heart, it changes everything. Every relationship in your life is now redefined because of Jesus. Everything, everything. Well, pastor, get, get back to your vision. My vision is to live like family. That's my vision. Not just any family, not a dysfunctional family. I want us to live like the family in the next age, but I want us to live like that now because that is so attractive to lost people who are out there saying, what's an airplane? <laughs> what's heaven like? What's the kingdom of God really like? Well, I see this evangelist. I read that story. I saw this protest. I saw that no, 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 there's a lot of people spreading pictures around. All God's family needs to get on the same page. And look, we're all in the same photo. Let's get accurate about what this looks like. Because people, want to, people when they get a taste of what it's like, will want to come in to that kind of community. Well, I'm, I'm this far. So here's what the Apostle Paul gives us. Because, he gives us a revelatory statement that describes what God's people should look like. Because of Jesus, we're family. And I spared you bringing in, what is Sister Sledge? 
I was going to show you the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates. We are family. I know you would have loved that, Connie. And, and, I, and I watched it um, several times. Uh, there's a whole story about the 1979 World's, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates who are having, they're having a tough time in their season. And uh, Dave Parker goes to Willie Stargell and, the, and to these, the two kind of rocks of the team. And Dave Parker says, I want to hear this particular song, uh, you know, before every game. And Willie says, nope, I want to hear We Are Family. And he's like, oh, that's such a cheesy song. He's like, well, that's what I want to hear. And he says, well, once we started playing that song, as cheesy as it was, we started playing together and started winning, and it became this rallying cry through the whole city how this diverse team of guys from every different kind of background could come together and play like a family. They won the World Series, and it's a little bit cheesy. And I don't know if Sister Sledge fits into this so much, but the reality is because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. You know what that means? It means I need you. And I really do. I need you. And I want to know you better. And I want to do a better job of, of uh, opening up my life to live more of life together with you because I'll benefit from that. You've been put into my life for a reason. I also want to do uh, more work. To There's empty seats around this table. Some of my brothers and sisters haven't responded to the invitation yet, and I don't want to go into it. I want them to come inside. But I want to show them how good it is in here. <laughs> I want to show them what it's like. I don't want to show and tell, right? So what does that look like for us this next year? Um, the new relationship to one another is lived out structurally, spiritually, and socially. And I'm not trying to be corny here. Every now and again, I find words that rhyme, and that happens about twice a year. So drink this in. In short... It means God's family stays together, prays together, and plays together. And I'm not just trying to be cute. I did find all of that in this passage. Let me tell you what that's going to look like at Echo, how we're going to make that look at Echo. I just say in 2022, this is building on something we've already been trying to do, but we've not been doing it as intentionally as it could. Because my only excuse is that COVID has thrown a giant wrench into how I think about planning social type activities. Um, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so some of this, I haven't figured out all the how-tos yet, but I'm not going to let COVID tell us that we can't be family. (laughs) We're going to figure this out wisely and safely together because the church has always had external problems that they've been trying to deal with. We don't have an emperor that's threatening to kill us if we don't move out of the country, so that's good. But the church has always had issues. They've had to tunnel through and say, how do we practice family in light of COVID? I don't live in China. That would be a whole different story. How do I practice family when publicly, or North Korea, when publicly identified with Jesus means death or imprisonment or torture? So all things considered, I'll take this one. If that's the one that we got to deal with, I will tell you this. We will stick together. We will stay together. We will pray together and we'll endure. First thing, we will stay together. The Bible says we're carefully joined together in him. And it uses the analogy almost like uh, he's talking about building a house and it says we're carefully joined together. So what does that make us in the illustration? If God's saying you're a part of a house, family, think about the analogy of building a house. He's saying we're building a house and you're a part of the house that gets stuck together with other parts of the house to make a house. What would that be? He's the cornerstone, so what does that make us? Well, we're not the mortar, bricks or 
Stones. Haven't the Bible talked about living stones? Yeah. So good news, you're a stone. You're a brick. Yay. <laughs> I have one memory of bricks, and you know, I don't know if my parents are watching this, but my dad and my mom would remember this really well. Um, when I was in, I think, sixth grade, we lived in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, um, we were able to actually, my parents were able to actually buy and build our first, like, home. We lived in a, in a mobile home, a trailer behind the church up to that point. We moved from an apartment to that trailer, but we were able to build a house. But we actually had to build part of, my dad bought a house that was going to be built off-site in three pieces, and it was going to be brought in and lifted onto a crane on top of a foundation we had to build. And let me just put your minds at ease. Most of you know how not handy I am. I did not build the foundation of the house. That would be a tragedy unknown to humankind. My dad's dad, however, was a bricklayer by trade. He did not have a high school education. He went to work full-time, I think, at the, like when he was in seventh grade. He was a kind of a gruff, rough around the edges. I'm being as nice as I can. His name was Harry Nower. He even kind of said it like that, like a growl whenever he said it. Um, and he volunteered to come down and provide the labor to build the foundation of the house. And obviously, my dad bought the supplies. And he didn't bring a crew with him. He drafted my dad and I to be the crew. And so, you know, as a pastor might do, I could really exaggerate this story and make it a lot worse than what it was. I will tell you, it was some of the hardest work I had ever done up to that point in my life. I was not placing the bricks. My grandfather was the expert. He placed the bricks my dad mixed the mud. In my job, they dropped off bricks in big pallets. Have you ever looked at bricks close up? Like when you looked at them, kind of like snowflakes, they look similar from a distance, but the closer you get to them, they're all a little different, right? And I'm like, okay, this is going to be easy. We're just going to stack up all these bricks in a pile. That's not what we did. The bricks, I had to load the bricks in the wheelbarrow and then wheel the wheelbarrow up the hill to my grandpa and put him up on the scaffolding and then come back down and get more bricks and just do that. It's kind of like an assembly line. He laid the bricks so fast I couldn't keep up with him. Just an expert, just an absolute, I mean, his craftsmanship was unreal. That's what he did all his life. I mean, I do remember watching him and I remember being fascinated by how he knew just the, every time he just scooped the perfect amount of the mud or the mortar onto his little tool and he just put it in a certain way on the bricks and just, I mean, as somebody who likes neat lines and straight things, it fascinated me. And he was just doing this all, I mean, everything was perfectly level and they brought the foundation, I think it was off a quarter inch from what it was supposed to, it was just unbelievable how he did all this. But here's what I learned about bricks when I read about how we, as a family, that God wants us to stay together. Yeah, you and I are the bricks, but Jesus is the mortar. Because you know what would have happened if we would have put all those bricks in a nice, neat pile with no mortar? What would have happened when I threw a basketball against it? Yeah, that thing would have had a structure, but it would have been very weak. But man, you put, you put that mortar in between those two bricks. Now you throw a basketball against it. The basketball just bounces out this way. I also learned this. It's not easy to take one brick out of the house. If that whole thing got built... And I said, you know what? I want to take that one out. I couldn't do it, do it without damaging other bricks. That house was not meant to have easily removable bricks. It was supposed to have endurance. It was supposed to be able to withstand rain, wind, snow, hail. And that's the post office. But, you know, you get what I'm trying to say. I also realized that every one of those bricks was unique and still retained its individual characteristics. But when it was mortised together with other ones... 
If one brick got a little bit weak, it's okay. It, it was surrounded by like eight other ones. And it was connected to a couple thousand other ones. And they, together, they were much stronger than they were individually. You know what? There is an interdependence in bricks in God's kingdom. You know what it says? I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. When you feel weak, you should be able to find encouragement right here in your family. When you're in the top of the world and you need someone to share that with you, you should be able to find that in your family. When you're grieving, when you're stressed, you should be able to find support, wisdom, accountability, safety in this family. We will stay together. Listen, I don't understand everything that COVID has for us in 2020. I have no idea. But you know what, church? We're going to stay together. You know what that takes? It takes effort. That means in this family, we don't stop being family just because we have some disagreements. You don't just say, oh, I'm going to take my ball, and I, didn't, you know, the, I don't like the, the color of the font that they used this Sunday. It's not the font that I believe should be used. I'm just going to take my ball and go to another family down the road. Well, we're part of one big family, and that attitude stinks no matter what micro family or table you sit at. Family doesn't let pettiness undermine the strength of the whole thing. It takes some effort to live at peace with people. You know, it also takes a willingness to give people grace. If you've been in this building for, you've been in this building and this family for 10 years and someone has a bad day, you don't write them off because they have a bad day. In your family, you don't do that. Well, yes, I do. She is not a sister to me anymore. She did this and she's not my family. Well, that's not really true. You might treat her like she's not in your family. She's still your sister. Well, I don't even consider them my parents because of how they hurt me. Well, that's fair, but they're still your parents. Well, he passed away 10 years ago and I miss him so. That doesn't mean he's not your dad. He's still your dad. You see, family is eternal. Family is durable. And echo what I'm asking you is to continue to invest the effort in staying together and sticking together and being together and not allowing the enemy to come in and try and chop you out of God's family and remove you. Because when that happens, the whole integrity of the whole thing gets compromised. You're important. If you weren't here, there would be a gaping hole where you're supposed to be. We stay together. We're structured. We're, being, we're carefully joined together in Jesus. We're not joined together by our opinions because we'd have a much smaller church of people just like you. And that's not, I, I'm not changed by people who think exactly the way I do about everything. We're not joined together by our politics. We're not, obviously. We're not joined together by our favorite sports teams. We're not joined together by our diets. We're not joined together by our recreational activities. All those things are fine and good, but there is something bigger that's joining us together. And if you're looking to be part of God's family that only, that's not joined together by Jesus, but it's by all these other things, that's not what God's family is like. We're joined together in him. That's the thing that brings us together. And that's what overcomes. You see, the world says, let's come into full agreement and then build family. The kingdom of God says, let's be family. And then we can appreciate each other different colors and spectrums of life that we come from. That's what it says. Enough on that. Number two, we'll pray together. 
Paul says the type of family we are, we're like a house being built together that will be a holy temple for the Lord. That means that this church, believers, need to learn to enjoy Praying not just by ourselves, but together. Worshiping not just by ourselves, but together. Studying the Bible together. Serving together. Sharing together. I will tell you this month coming up, we're gonna be, I'm going to be inviting you to join me in 21 days of prayer and fasting. Together. Asking God now, God, what in my diet should I set aside for 21 days in order that I can draw near to you? What is it? I don't want to tell you, you can do that individually. There's something that bonds us together even deeper than that when we do that together as a church. Frankly, we need to intensify how we pray together. We need to intensify how we worship together. We need to, in, we need to learn to be less uncomfortable with uh, being stoic and withdrawn when it comes to how we express our faith to the Lord. Not that there's one particular paradigm that's better than another, but I want people from outside God's kingdom to come into this environment and feel the warmth of a group of people who love Jesus. And I'm not saying that you don't, but I want us to overcome some of the cultural reservedness that comes with this and let more of our just raw passion for Jesus enter into the way we pray together, the way we worship. And so we plan some different things this year to stretch us in that capacity. Here's the one that I need, that God's done the most work on my heart, and it's this last one. We will play together. It says this family makes a place that is a dwelling. What is a dwelling? It's a place where you dwell, obviously. But it's a place where life happens. A dwelling is where you eat. It's where you play. It's where you have conversation. It's where you just simply live life. And God's new family is invited to enjoy one another socially to actually get to know each other. It actually says we need relationship with each other and we can find that in healthy ways inside of God's kingdom. And one of the things that's been so hard for me to figure out strategically is how do I make space for us to play together in a world uh, restricted by COVID and pandemic and fear? That's been like a wrench that I've been trying to figure out for the last two going on three years. Before COVID, it, it was nothing for us to plan a Sunday to eat together or uh, events where we could go and socialize or have picnics or get together and go to this and do that. And that slowed down so much because of, because of COVID. And one of our elders was so honest with me a couple weeks ago. He just said, Pastor, I'm so thrilled uh, because over the last year or two, I've seen so many new faces come into Echo. And he's right. Uh, after he said that, I hadn't looked. I looked back and compared our attendance uh, sub, uh, September, October, November, December of last year to this year, and we've grown by 60% on Sunday mornings, which is awesome. We've had uh, dozens of new families and individuals come and be part of this church. We've had uh, upwards of 50 commitments to Jesus, 50 salvations just from September to December of this year. That would, Over a course of a year, that would put us on pace to see 150 people saved. That's a, that's a, a couple years ago, it was two 150 in four months, you don't think people are looking to get into a kingdom of God even during a pandemic? People are hungry and thirsty for Jesus and to be inside of community and family. That's durable. And, and he said, here's the thing, though. He's like, I just feel like I'm not as connected to new folks. And he's right. Think about it. Right now, what we can do on Sundays is we pretty much come in. And if we're honest, not all of us are here 10 minutes early for social time. <laughs> Some of us are here 
after the service starts, we have the service and then we go. And I'm not indicting you for that, but how do you make friends that way? You know, how do you really get to know someone's story that way? Here's, here's how. You have to have a certain kind of personality that not all of us have. You have to, like, be the type of person who seeks it out. And if I hear that as an introverted extrovert, I get stressed out. Because I'm like, I want that, but that brings fear into my life. And here's the beauty. You don't have to change your personality to find community in God's kingdom. You just need your family to make lots of different opportunities for us to break bread together. So we just decided, and this was before all the new things came out, I just made some decisions about this year. And here's the root of it for me. I had to repent to God because, can I tell you something? Some of you know me well, but probably already know this. I've developed some really bad habits that displease the Lord when it comes to how I build relationships. And for the whole time I've been a pastor, I go through this up and down. I get really lonely socially because pastors, you know, we all need to be careful about who we socialize with, but pastors especially. I get really lonely, and then I open myself out to pursue friendship, and usually within the church. And 99% of the time, that's been awesome, and then there's that 1% of the time when it ends up in pain. Here's my bad habit. I'm calling it a bad habit. It really is just displeased the Lord not necessarily the action, but my attitude. You know what, what I do when I, get pain, when I get pain in a friendship? I withdraw. I put up walls. I say, you know what? It's, the juice is not worth the squeeze. And so I've learned to unfortunately get pretty good at being superficial. Be genuine, but only let people in so far. And it's do not cross from there. And you know why? It's because I'm selfish because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to go through pain. I repent to you, church, for that. I need you to forgive me. Um, I'm really sorry. Because when I get in those withdrawal stages, then as a pastor, I don't press as hard to figure out how to do the playing together and the living life together because I don't want to set myself up for the remote possibility I might get hurt. That's just selfish. That's saying, I prioritize me over you. And I'm just so done with that. So if you can forgive me, um, I would like to trust myself to more of that, opening myself up and just living life together. Again, I've committed to the Lord to really uh, readjust my schedule this year to invest in making more of these opportunities. Here's some of the things we've already done. We've scheduled several friends and family days for Sundays. Those are familiar to you. It's where we bring in... Where we bring in um, uh, we bring in uh, different, we don't bring in, we use some of you to be our speakers for the day, and we invite you to bring your friends here. Uh, we're going to have some more of those fifth Sundays that we talked about, uh, where it's the, the four months of the year that have five Sundays. We're going to just plan the, the not-so-spooky Sunday, which I was terrified of doing, ended up being like the best attended Sunday we've had in this building. And we didn't even have a ton of visitors. It was like, that's how many kids are really attached to this church. And I'm like, man, if we're having a quarter of them come once a month, what would it look like if all those kids were here more regularly? And so we're built, we've got one coming up in January, which we planned before COVID that we're coupling with. We own a baptismal now. It's so cool. We have a portable baptismal tank. It's on a pallet in the trailer. Uh, Pray for James and Zach and I, because we've got to figure out how to put it together. It is awesome. It's this round baptismal thing that we set it up. It's modular and it's got a splash 
pad, not because we're going to be doing cannonballs and things like that, but um, it has a heater. It, it's really, really, really cool. So we could do baptisms whenever we want, as often as we want. So by faith, I'm like, let's plan like three or four of them for this year. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had so many people getting saved? And we do. We've got like 50 people that have already been saved that haven't been baptized here yet that we need to get baptized. So we're planning that day. Here's some other things we're going to be doing this year. We're bringing back our summer vacation Bible school in July. What about COVID? Well, we'll figure it out when we get there. You know, I wish I could tell you today what the rules will be at that point. I'm putting it on the calendar as an act of faith, and I'm just going to plan until the county tells us we can't have it. That's my new approach. You're being reckless. No, I'm just having a little bit of faith and still being wise. Reckless is not a word that fits in well with me if you've known me at all. I'm way on the other side. I'm to the point of dull and boring and predictable. Um, so, um, but you know what that meant is that means that Pastor Phil's going to have to lead another VBS. And so I'm thinking the time and the energy that that takes. But I made another year commitment to do that because we think it's important to have a vacation Bible school here. And um, so I'm going to be training up young Pastor Zach this year. He's going to ride shotgun with me through this, and then I will turn the reins over to him. But we're going to do a VBS in July. Um, my wife and I have talked about doing something called pop-up play dates, which won't be for all of you. But if you have kids, um, I'm just going to form a group text through my personal cell phone, and um, we're going to make a commitment that at least once a month, maybe more than that, uh, when it's nice on a Saturday, we're going to take our boys to a park. We will send a group text out to all of you just saying, hey, we're going to be at such and such a park at 11. If you want to bring the kids out and let them run around together and we can have a few minutes of grown-up conversation in between telling our kids to stop eating mulch, you're welcome to join us. Um, but sometimes it's like we don't need to plan these things out in advance. We just need to be comfortable enough with one another that last minute you just put out the, hey, we're going to go to the park. We don't need a sign-up sheet. We don't need a waiver release. You don't have to pay a fee. You don't have to text somebody or whatever. You just get the text message. And if you want to go, you go. And if you don't want to go, you get to the next one. But it makes an opportunity for you to just come out and hang out. Maybe you don't have kids. You just want to hang out at the playground and give, you know, give bread to pigeons or whatever. Come on out and hang out. One other thing that I'm putting in the water this year, this is about half of the things we're going to... Oh, by the way, Echo Eats is going to come back. I don't know why. Yes, yes. See, we're just going to, we're going to plan some Sundays that after 11 o'clock service, I'm just going to tap a few shoulders. We're going to move the chairs out of the way. We're going to set up some tables. We'll put the chairs back. We'll bring in food for Mission Barbecue. Or we'll bring in some pizza. Um, that, that you can enjoy. Well, I don't like that. There's 37 restaurants right around the corner. Go get it, bring it back. And we're just going to sit around the tables and we're going to break bread together as a church family. Because I want to get to know you. Some of you I just don't know and I'm sorry. We haven't had coffee together. I haven't sat across the table with you and, and, you know, and had a conversation. And listen, for some of us, we think about that and we say, yes, socializing people. And others of you say terror. Listen. If you're more introverted and you're quiet and you're reserved, please come and just find a quiet place to sit. Those of you that are extroverted, you go sit with them. Okay? Don't get with all your extroverted friends and have your little click over the table. If you're comfortable sitting down with someone you don't know really well and just say, hey, can we sit here and, you know, tell, how long have you lived in the area? How did you find out about Echo? Tell me about your family. That's all I'm asking. It's going to take effort. Those of you that are comfortable in those environments, I need you to make the effort to not pair off with the other people you already know. Just sit down next to somebody that you may not know as well and just break bread together. Family is, you know what will happen? You'll become concerned for people you didn't even know. You'll become inspired by people. You will make friends with people you would have never run into were it not for church. Some of the best, I get at least three or four times a year to have lunch with Jim Gay. Jim Gay and I probably would not have gotten to know each other were it not for church. And I've got a brother for life in Jim. Source of wisdom and constant encouragement to me. 
I would never have found him if it weren't for church. And weren't for him saying, hey, can we meet for lunch? You know, I get to know some of our teenagers in the same way. Just was talking with uh, Zoe and Christina Campbell before the service, just chatting with them. I've seen them grow up in kid men. They bless my life. <laughs> I would have never got to know them were it not for church. So we got to make things like Echo Eats. One last thing. Mighty men um, is this idea I came up with. Because I know when you look at me, you think he should lead something called mighty men. So I want to yield to that. And uh, here's where it comes from. I have, and some of you have been praying with me, No, I've been asking God, God, help me to mobilize men who love you. Because I see, not just in our church, but in the church in general, I see an absence of men who love Jesus. I see an absence of men in a lot of churches, men who lead, men who can teach, men who, and we have solid men here, but I believe that there's room for that to grow, not just internally, but I also have a heart for, you know, my, um, my friends who I've met in this community who don't know Jesus. What Mighty Men is, is it's not a group, it's not a pro- program, it's not a ministry, it's not a Bible study um, It's not an intercessory prayer group, not to say that we can't pray or study the Bible together. I'm not going to bring a drum uh, to these meetings. Some of you get that. Um, It's just some gatherings that are going to be intentionally, that are intentionally scheduled. In fact, we're printing them on magnets. I think there's 10 of these events. I've committed to all 10 for this next year. I'm not asking, men, I'm not asking you to commit to all 10. I just want to make opportunities for us to get together and just enjoy each other's company. I need, I need that. That sounds really weak and not. No, as a man, I need that. I need one moment where I can take off the pastor hat, the husband hat, the dad hat. I, we're not going to Vegas. I don't mean that. I, I mean, I need to have a little bit of a break from those being at the front, and I just need, I just need to be with some other fellows. Because you know what I found? The friends that I've made that aren't Christians in this community that are fellows, we have a lot in common. My friends, we all want to be good dads. We want to work hard. We want to be smart with our money. We want to get physically healthy. We want to make good memories for our kids. We want to live wise lives. So we've thought up just a menu of some different events. Probably all 10 won't appeal to every, all the fellas. But these should be something that should be easy for you to come to and to invite some of your guys I just described. For example, our first one in January, we're going hiking at Gunpowder Falls. Um, all these events, with the exception of one, are planned on Saturday mornings from, like, starting at 8. Because in my family, they don't really care what I do on Saturday as long as I'm available, usually 9.30 or later, <laughs> when the cubs are stirring out of the cave and they get up and need to be transported all over God's county uh, for their million events that I don't know why we signed them up for all of them. But uh, I hope that that's a time that works for a lot of guys. Um, Hiking might not be your thing. That's okay. We're also doing breakfast at Double T. Come sit down, eat scrambled eggs, right? I've scheduled, uh, I've scheduled time for us to go uh, indoor go-kart racing at the Autobahn Indoor Motor Speedway. We are, I've scheduled a time, I believe, in November for us to go back to the same place and have an axe-throwing competition. Uh, I'm going to get to the ladies here in a second. There's a, there's a caveat to all of this. 
Um, I've scheduled a time in October on a Saturday. That's the one that'll go a little bit longer. I've scheduled uh, with the whitewater rafting group in Harper's Ferry. It's about an hour and a half from here to go take a, a whitewater rafting. It's just a, day, just a day event. I think it starts at 10 and we're done by one, I think. So that won't take a little bit longer. Frisbee golf, some hikes, some other things planned on that calendar, a mixture of things that are physical, moderate, some cost a little bit more, some don't. I just want to make opportunities for fellows to get together and just be guys and hang out and get to know one another. I know this, usually if I ride in a car with a guy for an hour and a half, we're buddies, usually. <laughs> Not always, but usually. But I want to bring people into that kind of community, and I've walled that part off. Now, we don't have a mighty women ministry yet, and I already had gotten called out on this um, because I was describing to one guy about what we wanted to do, and his wife's sitting right there. She's like, how come the girls can't go whitewater rafting? I was like, no one says that you can't, but I am not leading a women's whitewater rafting trip. Um, that is not, that's not, me planning events that women would enjoy would be a colossal failure. Um, I'm still, I'm married today, married 23 years, still haven't figured out good birthday presents. I still can't figure out where she wants to eat. I'm still not good at that. I'm all for a mighty women's or whatever women's ministry you want to call. One of you is going to have to lead it or somebody in the early service. And somebody's going to have to, uh, if, if you want to have something like that, I'm all for it. We will help you. We'll give platform for it. I would just say it will be a failure if Pastor James and I lead the Mighty Women's Ministry. That's just not something I want to put on my LinkedIn profile. It's not, you know, but I'm all for it. But if God's speaking to your heart, ladies, we'll help you. Just see Pastor James. We'll get, it's, it's pretty simple. But, um, you know, I want to make, I'm just saying, I want to make more opportunities for us as a church, not just to pray together, but to play together. I don't know what that looks like in COVID. We'll figure it out together. I'm praying that two months from now or a month from now, the end of January, they say no more masks. It's going back away and we get back to more normal. And, you know, that's what I pray. Well, Pastor, I don't know. You know, Every time I come up with a plan, put it in the shredder, right? It just, it goes in that direction. Our kids are going to be tearing those walls down in about 10 minutes. So here's what I do. I want to pray over you. We're going to receive an offering. Pastor James is going to send you out of here with an announcement, and then we're going to go home. Let's pray. If you're in this room and you're outside of God's kingdom, I want to invite you to come inside. I want to invite you to come into his family. And the way you do that is by praying a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I know I've sinned against you, and I've been living life my own way, and that ends today. That ends today. I want to come inside your kingdom. I want to be, I want to live as your son or as your daughter. I want to live with this new citizenship, this new membership. I want to be in this new family. And so I confess that I've sinned against you, but I receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers me. Jesus, I believe you're God's son, that you died on the cross in my place, that you rose from the dead, that you're alive today. You're my Lord. I surrender to your leadership. I accept forgiveness in my new citizenship. I receive new membership in the body, and I'm so thrilled to sit around the table and get to know my new family. Holy Spirit, come and live inside of me and bring all of Jesus with you. And I'll serve you from this day forward. Amen. If you prayed, just keep your heads bowed for a moment. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, do something brave for me. I'm going to count to three. If you pray that prayer with me, will you just lift up your hand, make eye contact with me real quick, and put your hand back down. I won't ask any more of you than that. If you prayed that prayer with me, one, two, three. Anybody? Anybody? Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. All right. Church family, if you're willing and able, will you stand with me this morning? Pastor James is going to just one more time put a little more detail on Baptism Sunday. We're going to give you a chance to give.
and then we're going to dismiss. Pastor James? And January 30th, um, which is uh, a couple Sundays from now, is our very first Baptism Sunday here at the Ministry Center. Um, we need you here, church family. Put a pin on that date. Make a point to be here because baptism is one of the most exciting things in the life of every single Christian. Um, we have a lot of new disciples that have come into God's family this year, and we want to celebrate them. We want to give them an opportunity to get baptized. And so here's two things. So first of all, pin that date. It's both the 9 and 11 a.m. services. It's a family service. So kids, teens, adults, all will be in here on that day. Um, so first of all, put a pin in that date. Make sure you're here. Bring your family. Uh, here's the other thing, though. If you are a Christian and you've been a Christian for any length of time and you have not been baptized in water, your next step is to get baptized in water. It's a way that we identify ourselves with Christ. It's a way that we tell the world that, uh, that we love him. And it's honestly, it is simply one of the ways that we obey the commands of Jesus to be baptized. And so let me encourage you, if you are a new disciple, um, maybe you even raised your hand uh, to indicate that you were saved this year at some point in the last year. If that's you, we want to help you get baptized. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you still haven't gotten baptized yet, we want to help you get baptized too at either the 9 or the 11 a.m. service. So if that's you and you want to get baptized, on your way out, stop by the, um, uh, the info booth. There's a sign-up sheet there. Just put your name and email on there, and then I'll follow up and give you some extra details and stuff like that. We just want to provide an opportunity to get baptized and to celebrate with all of, uh, all of our new disciples and with our church family on that day. So make sure that you mark that on your calendar and uh, get ready to celebrate. Thank you, Pastor James. Yeah, next Sunday's sermon is much shorter. It's already done. It's much shorter. I had so much to get through today. I apologize. I try and overcome it by talking fast, and sometimes that doesn't even work. Please know that we love you. We care about you. I'm excited about this year. I'm not pessimistic. I'm optimistic, and I'm, I hope that you go home feeling like that. And I want us to just spend this year and every year after this, understanding and living and enjoying all the benefits of being in this family and inviting outsiders to come in and be part of this family that we live in. Our team's going to come, and as you're dismissed this morning, I'm going to pray over the offering. Once they've passed the offering uh, back through there, you can be dismissed. Many of you give online. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Then we can worship God in our giving, and we can go enjoy our Sunday. God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us into this family. Thank you for telling us what your kingdom is like. Thank you for not locking us out of this, but showing us I am a debtor to you for knowing that. Lord, I want to know my brothers and sisters better. I am so interested in just learning from them and being with them. And Lord, I pray that that desire is sparking inside the hearts of all of us. Not that we're a closed, exclusive community, but that there's such a deep bond between us that it makes it so attractive for people who don't have that in their life to come into this family through Jesus and to be adopted into your kingdom and to live out this life that you've given for us to live. Father, we trust the finances of this church to you. I thank you for the many, many, many faithful people who've put you first in their finances. I pray your blessing on this church today as we worship you in our giving and send us out of here with hope and purpose. In your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you. 
and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.